listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since GGTMC, we are back. Yes. All right. Um, well, this is kind of a quiet opening. But anyway, I didn't really have a lot to add to that. We're back, and then boom, there it is. Um, yeah, this week we're doing uh, some Kickstarter picks, man. Yeah. We, we got uh, Ryan K's Kickstarter pick, uh, 1979's The Brood, directed by one David Cronenberg. And uh, Morris. Over at Love This Album, the podcast. If you guys aren't listening to that, you check it out. And uh, I think it's 2003's Alexandra Project, maybe? I think yeah, that's that right. sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, 2003. We'll go with that. Directed by one Rolf DeHair. <laughs> I guess that's how you say his name. <laughs> and I have to say, I thought about this last night as I went to bed. Firstly, happy Mother's Day. Happy, well, not belated, but... Happy Mother's Day to everyone. Hope you, all you mothers uh, out there had a great Mother's Day. And all you men did something nice for your moms on Mother's Day. But uh, I have to say, I was utterly um, <laughs> per, just floored at the sort of the cosmic irony of us inadvertently programming these two films about some <laughs> wild mothers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're covering on Mother's Day, and it was completely unintentional. No, it was. It's, it's, it's insane. I was thinking about it last night. I was like, wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, because they both films deal with uh, motherhood in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but we'll get into that in a little bit. All right. Uh, I don't have anything else to say. Uh, not that I know of. I'm drinking coffee. I'm having a good morning. I feel good. Uh I'm trying to think if there's something else I wanted to say this morning, but I don't think there is. No, there's not. I'm drinking tea. I said coffee to you when we spoke, but it's got to be tea. With a stomach bug like this, man, I can't I can't drink coffee. Yeah. That's, that's suicide. Yeah, that's a risky maneuver, and uh, that, that instead of giving you a jolt of lightning, that'll give you a bad day. It'll give me a shirt and a stomachache. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a bad, that's a bad day. <laughs> that is a bad day, man. All right, so what have you been watching, buddy? I haven't watched much. I had a busy, busy week. Um, just a lot going on. Uh, extra babysitting duties for my nephew, and my youngest, Braden, was sick for two days, so there's a lot of vomiting and me cleaning up vomiting and literal wash, rinse, repeat. Um, in life, we always have to find the silver lining, though, and, and uh, both times he threw up. It was uh, like both times, both episodes. It was on hardwood floor, hmm. so it could be worse. As I'm yeah, on my hands yeah. and knees, yeah, yeah. cleaning up a, you know, it seems like a kiddie pool <laughs> volume of vomit. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Well, quit feeling sorry for yourself. This could have been on the carpet. Yeah, no. so it could have been a lot worse. And then when he puked in bed, it was chunkier than chunky beef stew. So. It didn't soak through the other sheets, so instead of washing one comforter, 
I would have had to watch everything. So I find the silver lining. But in saying that, I didn't watch much. Um, I decided to rewatch the heroic trio on Netflix Instant, early Johnny Toe film, um, starring three absolute goddesses of Hong Kong cinema, Michelle Yeoh, Anita Mui, and uh, a beautiful Maggie Chung. Um, it's a fun, rompy, kung fu kind of fantasy film. Uh, I'd seen it, I don't know, God, years ago. But it holds up pretty well. I know Keith um, felt the same when he'd rewatched a good friend of the show, Keith, um, that it kind of held up pretty well. Um, coming back to it after a long time. It doesn't feel so much like a Johnny Toe film the way we know. It's interesting to watch his early films. Um, I watched The Big Heat, not The Big Heat. Was it The Big Heat? I can't remember. But anyway, um, yeah, it's a good, it's a fun film. It was on Instant, Heroic Trio. I know Paul watched it too. Hmm. Um, then I have the, I finally cocked open my, my Dark Knight, or no, Batman. No, Dark Knight, whatever, Batman. <laughs> my Christopher Nolan Batman Blu-ray box set. I got the five-disker for free, like I was telling you. A buddy of mine gave it to me, that it didn't fit in his collection. <laughs> Fits in mine. Um, <laughs> and I decided to revisit Batman Begins, which I know is your favorite in the trilogy. Um, it's it's good. It's my score is the same as it was last time. It's an eight point two five. I think it's the the for me. It's my least favorite of the trilogy, but it's still an eight point two five. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's great, man. It's uh, you know a lot of fun. Um, other I, than I that, do have issues with Liam Neeson's goatee in that film. And I frankly, yeah, yeah, I do. It's um, yeah. <laughs> it just looks fake, and I guess it is fake. I don't know what it is, but uh, this seems to me like a, you know he could grow a better goatee than that. And he seems, frankly, he seems like he's very. I like Neeson, but he does not seem a white guy for Ra's al Ghul. Like that doesn't really fit. Yeah, that's kind of odd. Yeah, you know so they should like. Why wouldn't they just stick with Ken Watanabe as you know the smoke and mirrors indicated? But yeah, I don't know. Whatever, I guess star power. Um, and then last but not least, I watched The Lunatics, which uh, which is a Derek Yee film. Now, that film, uh, I would love to tell you more about. And if you want to hear more about that, you can listen to me, Jake McLodge Huge, and CDR. Uh, we, Me and Jake guested on The Mill Creeps yesterday morning mm, because nice. uh, they're having some technical difficulties with... Uh, with computers, so the three of us got together and uh, and reviewed that film. So it's it's a it's a, a, a Hong Kong film unlike any other, to say the least. So our review of that will be out very soon on Milkcreeps. Nice. dot Nice. Or is it dot Libsyn? Fuck. I don't know. But anyway, Milkcreeps. Yeah, just look for the Milkcreeps. <laughs> Yeah, Milky's podcast. So there you go. And uh, what have you watched, my good man? I've only watched one other thing. I I will say that uh, I watched. Um, I finished off uh, that uh, BBC series I watched, The Shadowline. Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. That, that's definitely a high recommend. Everybody should definitely check that out. Um, very good cop show. Very well acted. Uh, just great stuff. So it's an eight episode series. It might as well be an eight, you know, an eight hour movie. But it's uh, it's very, very exceptional. That's all I'll say. Um, but the only thing, only other thing I watched was uh, the other morning I got up early and I was like, man, I'm up way too early. Maybe I'll watch something. Maybe I'll go back to sleep. But, uh, you know, I didn't have uh, my son at the time. So I was like, well, I've had this, you know, I've had Peter Jackson's The Hobbit on my on my table for like three weeks. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. So, you know, I was like, well, you know what? 
I'm going to get some coffee, get some breakfast going, and we'll kick back and watch The Hobbit. So I checked it out. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's not, uh, you know, it, it, it's exactly what you think it would be. And, uh, you know, more of the Lord of the Rings stuff. I have to agree with CDR a little bit, too. It does seem like he relied a lot on CG this time. And it's it's very odd when you consider the practicality so much of the uh, the original trilogy. Yeah. So it's very odd. But uh, I do look forward to watching these films one day with uh, my son and stuff because I think they'll really capture his imagination quite a bit. I have to say they're very imaginative. And, and you know, I've said before that, you know, I am not like the world's largest fan of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but I do appreciate what it is. And, um, uh, yeah, you know, for like, you know, a whole generation of kids, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's like the trilogy, you know, they grow up, they grew up with. So, um, yeah, I look forward to watching it someday with giving my son. Uh, that, that'll be fun because, uh, there's some good stuff in there. I mean, it is, there's some stuff I didn't like about the film and and whatnot, but then there are moments that I just really got caught up in, uh-huh. uh, which you know it's just the story itself. So, and the uh, the acting's all pretty good across the board. I mean, uh, especially the uh, kind of star turn for uh, oh, what's his name? I don't know his name off the top of my head, but he's like the lead dwarf, and uh, he's been in some stuff, but mostly TV. Let me see if I can get his name because I want to. I want to mention his name because the guy really is. I mean, this is a star-making turn for him. There's no um... Richard Ar- Richard Armitage. Oh, okay, I've heard that name. Let me Google the name. No, I don't. I can't put a face to it. There was no Frodo. Uh, no, there was some Frodo at the beginning. Uh, you know, a little Frodo in there, a little a little Bilbo. But I I can't recall because I haven't watched the original Lord of the Rings films. Oh, I don't know this Frage. guy. He looks he looks a bit like Hugh Jackman. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah. He's really, really good in the film. I have to say, really, really good. I mean, CDR both agree on that one. Mm, nice. He uh, oh. real, real star making turn for him. He was in uh, Captain America, but I can't remember that character. Is he like the British Captain America? No, no, <laughs> no. He's uh, played a character. Named, Jack, I think. <laughs> he played a character named Heinz Kruger, which is oh, about, the, about the most German name you could come up with there. <laughs> <laughs> Was it a glossy? Was it? I know a lot of people have said much to do. Much to do has been said about. Oh, it's a very glossy film. It looks almost too glossy and waxy. Did you find that? It, it is. It, that that was some of my problems with it. Some of my problems with it was the. It, I mean, it's the effects of it. It's 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 a little too. I don't know. It's a little too glossy, and uh, it just there's some some moments, like with the goblins and things like that. That yeah, it's impressive CG, but at the same time, it just felt. I don't know. Just felt a little too glossy. But the performances are good, and uh, I mean, just about everybody's good in the film. So, uh, and of course, uh, uh, Bryn's one of Bryn's favorite actors, the Jimmy Nesbitt. He's pretty good in the film too. <laughs> nice. But you know, it, it's 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 well acted, well done, and uh, as with most Peter Jackson films involving the stuff, it's over long. <laughs> yeah, he's he has a problem <laughs> trimming his films. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, he does. Him and uh, what's his name, Judd Apatow. Oh, I'm done with Apatow. <laughs> Those guys uh, both have problems editing their films big time. But it, it is worth a watch. And, I, of course, you know, you got boys. So, you know, if oh, you're yeah. not interested in watching that now, at some point in time, you know, you'll have fun with it, I think, uh, with your boys and stuff. Because, you know, even if the film itself, The Hobbit itself, uh, is a great story anyway. And The Lord of the Rings, you know, those are, those are, those are life-forming stories, you know, mythology and stuff like that that, you know. 
I think a lot of kids, well, at least my generation grew up with, but most generations grow up with at some point. So better that than uh, possibly uh, the mythology of Grown Ups 1 and 2 starring Adam Sandler. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. It's, uh, yeah, it's funny now that I think about films like that, which I, I'm not a fantasy guy, but I like the, the original trilogy was as good as that genre can make me feel cinematically, but um, I am looking forward to watching this with my kids and even um, a lot of the Godzilla stuff. Like we've said before, there's genres and stuff that doesn't work for me, but I think is there's good gateway films and fantasy films that I think I'd, I'd love my kids to see because of the kind of the movie magic involved with them. So yeah, yeah, I'm the same way about the Godzilla films. I mean, I'm not a big Godzilla person, but uh, I respect that you know my son will go through his phase with it. And, uh, you know, he might, you know, he might stick with it his whole life. Who knows? But, um, you know, I'll watch those films with him again. Cause I grew up watching those. So, or which, you know, which ones I did see, I didn't see all of them, but you know, the ones I did see. So yeah, it's one of those things, but, uh, yeah, that's all I watch, man. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I keep going back to that Hemlock Grove show. I don't know why, but it's, uh, oh yeah, I, I, yeah, it's a, uh, not a recommend. So, <laughs> but I'm one of the I'm a completist, so you know this is the way it goes. But uh, and I'm only four episodes away from the end of this tragic. <laughs> oh, so you're in it to win it, then? Yeah. yeah, I've committed. Once I've committed that far, I'm just like fuck it. I'm just going to go all the way. Cody's a fan, I think. Who? Cody. Yeah, I mean, there's there's people out there that like it, and uh, you know, but I think everybody would agree that it's. <laughs> It's uh, it's confusing and it's uh, overly confusing for what it is, and it's very badly acted. It should be said. Ugh. You know, somebody I don't like. Let me just bring this up in the intro since our intro is kind of short this week. Is Famke Jensen? I don't like her. Oh, I love Famke. I love the way she looks, but I don't like her as an actress. Um, I love the way she looks, and I- he loves her so much he hung up on me. That's uh, exactly how much he loves her. So now he's gonna call me back. And tell me how much you love her. There we go. <laughs> All right. Well, what you say about my fam key? <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> I was saying it's like he loves her so much he hung up on me. Yeah, I, I I love the way she looks. I like her acting. She's never going to be enough for me to yeah. see a film, but I, I do like her. But uh, that's interesting. I never. Huh. What yeah. is it? Do you feel like she overacts, or she's just not very good? Or I just don't think she's a very good actress. No, sir. No, but I think she, I think she looks great. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, as far as cinema, I mean, she's not my type. I like no, her no. hair a lot, but uh, she um, she just doesn't, you know, it, strong and quiet. She works for me uh, when she talks a lot or acts a lot. I just don't feel like she emotes very well. And of course, if you see if you ever see an episode of the series, you'll see what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm sure I would be a lot harsher now than my <laughs> early 20s self would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, she, um, she, uh, yeah, just not a, I don't know. We'll see what our listeners think. I'm sure there's people out there that love her. I mean, that's fine, but, you know, it's just, she doesn't work for me that much, especially after watching this show. I'm like, ooh, you know, I don't think I'm going to move on from the Femke. <laughs> Please put away your papers. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a short break and come back and review which one? What are we going to do first? The Brood oh boy. or Alexandra's Project? <laughs> uh,. Uh, let's do Alexandra's Project first. All right. We're going to be right back with the Alexandra's Project. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. Oh. 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 
Tom Waits here. If you want to hear a really professionally recorded podcast promo, then I'd suggest you go elsewhere. But if you want to listen to a podcast where there's a whole lot of interesting talk about favorite and great albums and what makes the songwriting so fantastic, then I'd suggest you listen to Love That Album, hosted by Mars. Now, if only he'd talk about one of my records. Love That Album podcast, as endorsed by one out of five Tom Waits impersonators. You can get the podcast from iTunes, searching for Love That Album, or you can get it from lovethatalbum.blogspot.com. Listen to this podcast, except no imitation. I couldn't sleep at all last night When I was tossing, I was turning, I was rocking and I popping I couldn't sleep at all last night Put on my MTV, the chicken birds and me Oh, 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 I couldn't sleep When I was flipping, I was flopping like a fish out of the water Rocking around, baby, yeah, 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 yeah Sweet, sweet, I was moving the loop Couldn't work, but I know So should somebody help me, please I'm digging on my knees, oh Couldn't sleep at all last night. No. <laughs> Want to cry on there. Expose my soul to our listeners. Yes. Yes. All right. So our first film of the day is Alexander's Project 19 or 19, 2003. <laughs> um, all right. Let's see. Who wants to lead on this? Me or you? It doesn't matter. Um, uh, it doesn't matter. Whatever you want. Um, okay, uh, well, I'll uh, synopsize it here and we'll get going. Uh, a regular suburban family man comes home from work on his birthday to find a deserted house and a videotape waiting to be played. All right, so. Oof, here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. Uh, you know what? I'll take the lead on this one. I'll let you lead on Brood. Okay. Um. <clears throat> all right, so. I had never seen this. Now, I know of Rolf Daher. Obviously, I've seen Bad Boy Bubby. Most of our listeners are probably familiar with that film. Got a little bit of something stuck in my throat here. Hang on. All right, there we go. And, was uh, it a cucumber? Or? No, it was not a cucumber, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so I didn't know really what to expect of this film. Uh, at all and uh, so I checked it out and I have to say this thing really starts out with some uh, strange atmosphere and it's got a lot of atmosphere to the film and you know you don't really know if you've never seen it before and we're not going to give it away obviously on this show you know the videotape it says there's a central conceit to the film and 
it kind of plays out through most of the film. So we're not going to get into the details of what's actually on the tape, I'm sure, because really that's the whole gist of the film. But yeah. we will get into a few things about it. Um, so you'll be interested in seeing it. Um, but I do like the atmosphere. And, uh, well, you know, I do enjoy naked push-ups. I have to say, it's not every day you get to see naked push-ups. <laughs> no, you sure don't. The good thing about Australian film is like almost without fail, you're going to see somebody's wiener. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We did Wake and Fright, and we also saw some uh, some cock. So, but Gary Sweet, he kind of reminds me of a uh, a uh, Rod Taylor a little bit. Rod Taylor. He also reminds me of um, Sean Pertwee. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like him too. Yeah, does. He's got a great look. I mean, he does. He he really looks great. He, he's aged well too. If you've seen him in some other modern stuff, and he's one of those actors who has this. It's like a great face, very manly, very, I don't know, very, very butch in some ways. I mean, I could see him like in action films and stuff. I don't yeah. think, I don't think he's got that much, that, that kind of charisma where he could lead, but I mean, I could no. see him in, uh, you know, as like a commander, as like, you know, the captain, that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, he's got a, he's got a great look. He's got also like he almost like like Billy Zane's brother in some ways. If yeah, you, if right. You, if you see him now, especially in this or film, Arnold Vosloo's uh, white brother. <laughs> yeah. Not to say Vosloo's not white, but he's uh, <laughs> I think he's uh, Middle Eastern or South African. Uh, but that which is close enough. I'm stupid and tired. Never mind. <laughs> A lighter featured version of Vosloo. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So yeah, like I said, I'm aware of uh, Deher, but I, I can't I can't say that I've seen a lot of his films other than Bad Boy Bubby. Uh, I have to say that his filmography terribly intrigues me, though, and I should definitely check out more of his stuff. Because if you look through his filmography, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there, and uh, I'm going to be curious. I am definitely going to check out some more of his stuff. He's only directed 15 films, so <clears throat> since 1984, so he doesn't work a lot. But uh, you know, he works you know every two or three years or so, but. He doesn't work a whole lot, so I'm, I'm curious to see some more of his stuff. Because uh, Bad Boy Bubby is a bit of a transgressive, uh, oh yeah, angry film as well. And that's to say that this film is is angry. I think one of my notes I wrote down was is you know is this emotional torture porn? Is that what this is? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Because we should have uh, triple billed this with Antichrist. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> a little. It got a little bit of that feel to it. Jeez. Um, <clears throat> so the film, it kind of. It plays with your emotions a little bit, to say the least. And uh, what it really what it really attacks, I think, is uh, manhood itself, manhood and pride. And uh, I think that, and it's hard to talk about, like I said, without giving away anything. But we're going to try anyway. You know, the film is is from a different point of view than what you normally see, and. Um, I think that works to its benefit. Now, me and Will were talking before we started recording. Because of the way it's set up and everything, That by the time you get to the end of the film, you start to think, well, that's kind of illogical. This is kind of illogical. This doesn't make... But I don't think that's the point of the film. I think the point of the film is, you know, almost like the words project, uh, you know, in the title. I think the point of the film is just to see how far one person can push another person. Mm-hmm. And... uh Boy, is there some pushing going on, to say the least. <laughs> oh, there's some pushing and some thrusting. And some tugging. Some tugging. And some snapping. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Um, I do like the... 
I will say that one of my favorite things about the film is the atmosphere. I really like when he comes back home. They, uh, you know, they establish he has this life, and there's this little brief moment where they show him having uh, dinner with another lady, and I thought, well, you know, what's going on there? And they never really, you know, go into it. Uh, she kind of uh, goes into it, but you, you have no proof that anything's going on outside of perception. So I don't know. You know, I think that's supposed to be with the audience, right? Yeah, and I think that it doesn't show him so much as maybe she has a, a a thing for him, but it doesn't really show him reciprocating that. Right, right. But I I think that's kind of also the point of the film. I think it's kind of a it's the kind of film where you know you're not really sure what's going on. Uh, at the same time, you know, you're being told these things, but if you think about it in hindsight, after you watch the film, they could be the ravings of somebody losing their mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could be the other way too, though. They could be legitimate. All the, all the complaints, all the, the arguments, they could all be legit. But what I think Tahir does, that's really impressive is he doesn't give you substantiated fact. He just gives you this, this scenario and let you decide. Uh, and, of course, like we said, we talked about it off the air because it's a little bit of a spoiler conversation. He lets you decide if what's actually taking place took place or is taking place. And he lets you kind of come to that conclusion on your own. So that's why that's where talking about this film kind of gets a little complicated. Because it would be easy to sit here and say, boom, we're going to spoil this. Boom, here's here's what I think. But I don't want to get into that because it makes it, makes it tough. <laughs> yeah, for our listeners, and I, I want people to check it out because if you're a fan of transgressive cinema or you know angry cinema, both of our films this week are angry films. Very angry, familial discontent. Yeah, <laughs> um, motherhood has never been, never been, but it's it's uh, yeah, oof. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a, it's a strange, uh, like I said, like we said in the beginning, it's a strange coincidence we ended up covering these films. On Mother's Day, I mean, as we're, as we're recording this right now, it is Mother's Day. It's five forty nine in the AM on Mother's Day in, in the states and in North America, and uh, it is odd. I was thinking about it this week, you know, I was like, wow, you know, could we have picked two more films that <laughs> had you know more <laughs> more uh, motherly tones? I mean, the only thing we're missing is some edible complexes of some sort, you know, maybe maybe uh, you know son and mother stuff or something. I don't know. That's the only thing we're missing from our disturbing little film coverage this week but so this film does play on i think mankind's or most mostly males kind of uh some of our our weaknesses as men and uh manipulates and it is a, a man's nightmare type of film um i think what daher does it's really smart he shows that our lead um What's his name again? I can't remember the name. Steve? Steve? Steve is Steve. Hi, Steve. He shows our lead that he is ultimately, even though he might have some flaws like most people, that ultimately he seems like he's a nice guy. He seems like he loves his kids. His kids seem happy. Oh, yeah. There's definitely a sense of... um I like that they go to lengths to show a, a multiple or a multiple, multi-layered or multifaceted person, a fleshed-out character that that's not without flaws, as all of us are. Right, right. And I think that's the best thing about the film is that he shows that this is, you know, these are human beings. Uh, you know, the Steve character is obviously a flawed man, but 
he it, it comes down to his pride and stuff. I mean, he's doing push-ups in the beginning in the, in the nude, like I said. But and you know, he's got comments about the fat guy next door and you know, he's a he seems like he might be a little bit of a vain character, but <clears throat> he's also a character who's who's gotten you know, who who's gotten very comfortable in his in his skin, not just his personal skin, but in his life. Yes. Like he expects his wife to be there, he expects his kids to be there. You know, he's he's got a lot of comments about the guy next door, comments about life, and you know, this and that. So he's 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 gotten comfortable. And uh the the Alexandra character played by Helen Boudet, who hasn't done a whole lot, she is very good in this film. She is very I, I would say of the two, she's uh she's the better actor. Yeah. And she uh I mean, she really does put in a performance here. It's a pretty brave performance, I have to say. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's not. I mean, she she lets it all hang out, literally. But uh, she is very good in the film. But you can see that you know she's not on the same page as Steve. Now, the interesting thing about the film, I think, is that Rolf to here is he takes the not only the approach of showing that the Gary Sweet character, the Steve character, is a good father and or possible. We we don't really know for sure, but at least we know he's a caring father. And, and he seems to be a. Um a good husband in some regards, meaning he doesn't paint him as a monster. Like he kisses his wife. He seems, he seems a little going through the motions, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't seem like a completely awful husband. Like sometimes in these films, they would really want to justify, um, any sort of comeuppance with painting that character with a real black hat, but they don't do that here, which I'm thankful for. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that is a good thing because, I mean, that, it would be a lot of easy. I don't think there's any emotion involved if they just make him black hat. Because if they well, make then him, because it's, 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 it's come up and so he deserves everything he gets. Yeah, it's a revenge film then. That's right. And then it's a different film. It's almost like an exploitation film. And then you can get behind some of the things that happen. I think what the the good thing about this, <laughs> yeah, I know, poor choice of words maybe. Yeah. But the, uh, the, uh, <laughs> Some of the things that happen in this film, instead of you feeling the the visceral release of revenge, you get more of the confusing state of uh, anger and and deception and all these other crazy things that are going on in your brain. I think another good thing he does in the film to hear that is is uh, there's a moment where he shows uh, Steve watching the videotape mm-hmm. and. You know, Steve's got his, you know, she sets him up in a way and all this stuff. And then, you know, she's going to talk to him and release all of her, all of her problems with Steve. So what he does for the Steve character and what he does for us, I think, is is interesting. He decides to, instead of giving us all the reasons the Alexandra character might be doing this, he fast forwards through the whole thing. I mean, she spills something that he goes a long way through because Steve just wants to get to the good stuff. That's right. And that's an interesting, I think, maybe one of the most interesting things about this film. And we were talking about the illogical stuff and everything else. We don't really know 100% why Alexandra, the character, is doing this. I would say this, though. I would say that my interpretation of that is not so much that we missed something juicy. What could he have done? I think it's more... Him fast forwarding is is emblematic of her problems, meaning he's tuning yep. her out yep. for what he wants. Right, right. Which is the, the only thing we know. That's the only thing we know about their relationship is 
that she, you know, he comes back and that she does feel unappreciated, that she does feel this, that she does feel that, and she does tell us some other stuff. Uh, so, but we don't get the real, what we think might be the real emotional release or the real confession as to why she may have masterminded this whole thing. And uh, I think that's an interesting, an interesting take because what it does as an audience, it does give you that general conception that you just talked about, but it doesn't give you the detail. So you, we only know a couple of things that he does, <laughs> which we won't get into, but we, we, uh, we don't know the full details. So we don't know if in the past he had done something that, you know, may have been awful because we don't see that of the Steve character. We, we, we do know a few things he does, but we don't know, like we said, you know, they, he goes out of his way to hair goes out of his way to establish that this guy's a, a, a dad, uh, that he, you know, tries to be a good worker that, you know, he, he's not the kind of dad who, you know, has the pictures on his desk and never really appreciates it because there's a point in this film where he kind of flips out when he doesn't have his pictures on his desk. And uh, he seems like a loving husband. He seems like a loving dad. Seems like a guy who's trying to do better. Is he prideful? Yes, but that's uh, that's a weakness most human beings can fall into. That's nothing. That's nothing anybody can point to and say, "Hey, you know, I'm better than you because I'm not. I don't have as much pride as you." That's right. Nobody can say that. So, I think it's interesting. I think the best way to probably describe this film is it's just manipulative. And it's manipulative on purpose, and it's a film that generates conversation. Whether you like what it does or doesn't do, it, it doesn't matter, because I think really the main point of the film is just to have a conversation about, you know, what if or why. A, a conversation, sorry to cut you off, amongst each other, and also I think with yourself to kind of look in the mirror. and Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Because we are Steve. I mean, as a male viewer, we are Steve, as I'm sure – the female viewers are Alexandra. I mean, I think there's more of a disconnect with them being Alexandra than us being Steve, mm-hmm. but it's still there and enough for us to be sort of look inward to uh, explore our role as that character. Right, right. Because it is interesting, you know, being a married man now for some years, um, you can relate to and some of the things that Steve does because you do become complacent sometimes in in long relationships you do become comfortable you do become you expect certain things not mm-hmm. not so much physically but you expect that person to always be there you feel like you know the, the work has been done you can fall into that rut sometimes so you forget sometimes that you know you have to work on that because a relationship is an ongoing thing it doesn't go away i mean it doesn't it doesn't just because you say i do doesn't mean that you always will <laughs> Yeah, spot on. So you 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 can see that there's some stuff going on there as well. Now this is taken to the extreme, and it's done. So there is a conversation, and it's interesting the way it is done. But uh, I do like the emotions that the Steve character goes through. I do like the. Uh, I do have to say, out of all the acting Gary Sweet does in the film, his horror sometimes at some of the things that are going on feels pretty legitimate. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do a pretty good job. He does a pretty good job, I should say, of showing uh, the range of emotions he goes through. Now, um, and I'll pass it over to you here in just a minute. I don't really care for the very back end of the film because that's where, for me, it gets really confusing and really illogical. And I think it, it um, at that point, it's, it's overextended its hand a little yeah. for me. 
Yeah, it's kind of like taking the nail and, you know, you've driven it in 75%, but now we're going to take it and drive it in 25 more percent. That's right. So that part I don't really care for. So, I, I you know, I have some issues with the end of the film. And I also think that uh, the Steve character's uh, evolution, as it were, um, doesn't seem right emotionally to me. Like, there's certain aspects of things that he is left with or that he feels, I guess, that I think, motherfucker, there's no way I'd be <laughs> him in that position. Yeah. Like, meaning the way he's uh, latched on to something. Um, oh, I can't give it away, but it's... Well, yeah, because I mean, considering everything that's happened for him to hang on to something is like, uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, that's where I think the smart part of the film is, is that, you know, you, you put yourself in the Steve role, especially if you're a male and you think, okay, well, one part of this, it makes me angry, but I can move on from that. But we've already established that the Steve character is a caring father. So we don't know about what happens after the fact. Um, you know, but, you know, is he destroyed? I mean, he's not a prisoner, but he kind of makes himself this kind of weird thing. And, and it, it's a very odd way. The film ends oddly. And, but I think it ends with the point of, you know, again, discussion. I think that's really the whole point of the film is just to talk about what maybe the male role or at least Steve's role is in this whole thing. And uh, it's, 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 it's very interesting. I mean, again, if we could have a spoiler conversation, there's probably, you know, another 30 minutes of conversation we could have here. But because we don't do that on the show, I, I you know, I, I can't really get into it without giving away too much. Um, it, it's really, I mean, we're pretty good at not spoiling stuff, but I don't know how. I don't know how really to go into this one in detail because there's a whole other conversation to be had here. Uh, I mean, literally a whole other conversation. Uh, a conversation from a male point of view uh, and a conversation from a female point of view. And I mean, if we got our wives involved, there'd be a third conversation involved. So I think this film is interesting to say the least. And uh, I definitely think it's something people should see uh, because I really like what he, he's challenging people with uh, because it is a, a bit of a smack in the face, like I said, and it, you know, I called it emotional torture porn, but some, some people are going to get into that as not, not like, you know, something you get off on, but some people are going to get into that and not really get that sense of what I'm talking about, but maybe, you know, they're not married for some amount of years, not this, no children, blah, blah, blah. I think you gotta, you kind of gotta be in, well, let's just say in Steve's spot a little bit. I would agree with that. And to really kind of get into the emotion. Or, or Alexander's spot. Or Alexander's spot, yeah, yeah. But, you know, this is, you know, that's that's kind of the interesting thing about the film. I don't know if I was 21 or 19 and I'm watching this film. I don't know if there's any emotional connection for me. So I don't know if it would gut-wrench me as much as some of this film does. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So I think there's, you know, there's something there. And that does, you know... That might, that might, my score for the film and my thoughts on the film might be more affected by where I am at in my life mm -hmm. as opposed to uh, where I would have been 20 years ago. So, so I, you know, I'll, we'll have to see. But, 
because I do think that I do think that sometimes I do think that you know obviously films and your personal life do mix I mean you know things that happen to children in films now bother me more than they did before things that happen to husbands and wives bother me because I am a married man things that happen to dogs bother me because I love dogs you know you so you, you bring your personal things into a film whether you like it or not you, you have to disconnect as much as possible because any story is ultimately just a story but the human condition dictates that no matter what we do, we bring our human feelings into stuff, unless we're just not empathetic at all to anything. So in that case, we might need to seek help. Yes. <laughs> but that's all my thoughts on Alexander's project. <clears throat> okay. Um, you mentioned it earlier uh, in, I think, in Silver and Gold, maybe if not on our group, but this film and The Brood are both available in their entirety on YouTube. I actually watched The Brood. I thought I owned it, but I don't. I actually watched it with Spanish subtitles. Yeah, I, I watched that same one. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, because it's a full shot and one that's like went to ten parts. Yes. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, so yeah, Rolf to here. I, I would say that his films off the off the, the few that I've seen. I, I don't. I think I've only seen this in Bubby, but maybe I've seen more. For the sake sake of time, I won't look. Feel very Park Chan Wook. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Bobby feels a very old boy, and this feels very old boy in some regards. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's you know they're moments. dealing with overconfident kind of um, middle management types um, who don't appreciate maybe <laughs> at least in some eyes. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah, don't. Yeah. I love Bubby. It's uh, it's a, yeah, a very very good film. Um, Graham Tardif did the music for this film, which is very spare. But it's used more in the front end of the film when the front end, when the film feels more conventional. Yeah. I, I want to say that I, I know that name from a few things. I can check very quickly as I'm. I'll look at uh, it. I'll look into it. But I, I do know that uh, I got a very strong. There's a, some Kubrickian type elements from the score, as in very mood setting, very tone yeah. setting. Big time. Now he thinks he's only done a few things, and he did Bubby. But, uh, there we go, we got that. There you go. Um, the film is, um, I love the way it opens. It opens with this really unsettling, ominous kind of POV, slow shot around suburban streets, sort of late in the day in the evening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really like that. And it's weird, it's back-to-back weeks we've had Australian films. Yeah. And almost back-to-back weeks we've had Canadian films. Between yeah. Last night and this. So It's crazy. I didn't even yeah. think of that either. <laughs> Yeah, or as as we're going to hear from Ryan, uh, Commonwealth, former Commonwealth, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, films, or yeah, part of the Commonwealth, but former. Um, uh, anyway, that doesn't matter. Commonwealth <laughs> films, um, or uh, okay, now that was a total, never mind. Another digression I was going to make, but I won't. Um, we see with Steve's character a very controlled, structured life. Yes. Well, with the whole family in the beginning, the house is immaculate. Um, everything just seems very in place. Should be said uh, that almost everything Graham Tardiff done has is, is been, they're almost all rough to her films. Oh, wow. So. You can get a sense early on from Alexandra that she feels very, the actress feels very love child of Holly Hunter and Angela Bettis to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, there's a strain that's just below the skin with her. Mm-hmm. You can see a frustration and and just everything just bubbling below the surface, even in the early scenes of the film. You think, see, it's like a habit. Yeah, there's an interesting element to the security setup. Like, is she? 
is she scared of the outside world or was it all part of a plan? It's very interesting that, that mm. dichotomy too. I say, well, I don't want to give too much away, but I don't think she was uh, scared of the outside world. Mm. Yeah, because it's it's interesting the way she plays her. I think it's all it all built to a uh, something that was she was lying in the bushes waiting to do. But <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Um, I was going to make a crass joke about <laughs> yeah. lying in bushes, but I won't. Uh, <laughs> That's why I was kind of laughing because I had the same joke in my head. <laughs> um, but you, yeah, because you, you, you get that sense of autopilot. Um, what does this say? Sign should say. Oh, the, just a very minor thing, but when they're making the birthday sign for the two kids. Uh, and the mom, the sign says "Happy Birthday, Steve," which seems kind of odd because normally in situations I would say "Happy Birthday, Dad." Yeah, that's an odd element too. But I, I mean, just, uh, some people are like that. And I, I have friends who grew up, uh, and they can, you know, they called their parents by their first name. It's, it's very some, peculiar. Yeah, and I, I have a friend of mine who still calls his dad by his first name. He did when we were growing up, and calls his dad that, and he calls his mom by her first name. Oh wow. So, Ugh, that's weird to me. Yeah, um, it, it can be strange. Yeah, it, it can be. But some people are, I don't know. They, that's just the way it works for some people. The, I guess. Um, the film's well shot. Again, we get more sort of standard film technique, be it from a score or a lot of a lot of standpoints. But it's very well shot. The way the camera kind of slowly. You mentioned Kubrick, which is of course spot on. The way the camera kind of moves slowly, it pulls in, it pulls out. There's a lot of shadows, and we're starting to get this sense, like, what, what's going on here? We're, we know we're building towards something, but we just don't know what. And uh, it, it, well, obviously, we, we end up finding out. But I have to say, you know, no one let no one say that Steve doesn't have some pretty sweet air guitar moves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. He's pretty he's a pretty overconfident dude, but with air guitar moves like that, I I would be too. Yeah, but but yeah, again, I want to go back to that, that confidence thing. It all comes from something, you know. Not only is he confident, you know, he's a good-looking guy. Mm-hmm. Uh I mean, stereotypically maybe, but he's a good-looking guy. He's in good shape, you know. He he's got, you know, his comforts at home. Mm-hmm. So, you know, his confidence all makes sense. It all kind of translates to who he's become is it yeah is it uh a good thing maybe not but at the same time you know maybe it is i mean i who are we to say yeah so but again i think that's probably the most interesting thing that the does i think he he makes us have that conversation when reality is you know people are going to fall on one side or the other or in between or or whatnot but i think that's probably one of the most interesting things about the film is the way they really i mean I, I don't. I can't get into it without giving away anything. <laughs> no, no, I hear you. It's it's awful to do a review and keep saying that. <laughs> so. Well, we yeah, it's just it is what it is, man. It we is what it is. Keep yeah. tongues bit. Um, it, yeah, and it seems like um, with this and Bobby that Stier really does like to thrust his characters into nightmarish domestic situations. Yeah. Um. In this one, we really see, or at least we get the perception—not even the perception—it's it's sort of hinted at. One of the things is you know, women in relationships they get kind of stripped of their sexuality and independence when they become wives and mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, uh, I have to say, there's a very awkward striptease in this. Yes, but you <laughs> now. 
is it uh it i'll leave it at that yeah 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 yeah. there's a conversation to be had there too yeah yeah, there is again (laughs) uh, i I have to say steve the actor uh, what was his name uh gary sweet sweet um he gets hung up to dry a little bit with some of his kind of oh yeah reaction shots like some of that that was pretty weak (laughs) yeah yeah he he thankfully he doesn't hang him out to dry during like the heavy emotional beats which is good but unfortunately he does but again i think that might be intentional as well so it's it's very interesting the way because i mean ultimately the performance is pretty good yeah, on the whole it is, but there's a few moments when he gets home and he has to get to react <laughs> it's to things. And it, I had moments where I was like, ooh, kind of embarrassed for him, you know? I was embarrassed for him, too, because he's got a tough job. He has to act opposite um, opposite an unconventional thing. Yeah, I, they shot the film in continuity, too. so Yeah, which would, I think, make sense. Yeah, for right. this type of film, I think it would totally make sense. I mean, this is obviously very low budget, and uh, for what it does with that low budget it's very interesting i think this is something that could even work as a stage play it definitely could work as a stage play i totally agree with you multimedia kind of thing Um, be a very brave performance from whoever the female actress would be to do this yeah for sure um we see his kind of cat you talked about his callous disregard for what his wife's saying he he literally fast forwards which i think she knew he was going to do yes yes um but uh, I have to say that Alexandra, to me, of the two, is is the better actor in the yeah, sense of yeah, yeah. she is able to shift gears emotionally because there's some stuff as uh, his surprise is unfolding or as her project, the titular project, is unfolding. Um, we see her shift gears emotionally pretty, pretty deftly. Um, Oh, and there's such a, like the the first fucking awful reveal is when she goes, not yet, and she pushes something down. <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, the one that's like, oh my God. Yeah, that, that scene right there, that's, I can, I'll just, full uh, disclosure, that's my make or break right there. That moment. Jesus. Because I didn't know anything about this film. Yeah. So I'm watching it and I'm like, holy fuck, what was that? Yeah, and that's when you're just like kind of jolts you. Yes, it does. <laughs> oh man! Um, in some ways, too, this is reminiscent of it's it's a more mean spirited, in ironic sort of in the grand scheme of things. You know, you wouldn't maybe think so, really, but reminiscent of the game in a way. Yes, yes, it is in a way. <laughs> you know, this where man is, is at a certain point another, in his life. Yeah, it's another thing it's, where it's a film convention, uh, so you could argue that logically, parts of the game you could argue logically that it's, you know, it's a story made for film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could argue the same thing with this film as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It gets progressively worse. It starts to cut deeper and, um, there's a scene with a vegetable, a literal vegetable that gets very personal and it feels like, you know, it's a real, emotional train wreck um you know this is when things get really deep as far as their relationship and some stuff that cuts really deep for them and it, it a little bit beyond this is where i think it, it it its hand is is extended to the point of um for me plausibility um like the, the, one of the last things probably the last point of of me being totally behind the project, as it were, is when she goes, I make money. I'll show you how. Yeah. Yeah. 
10. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't, again, I can't say more than that, but <laughs> yeah. when you see the film, you'll know that scene. And, uh, yes. <laughs> it's, uh, and she says, don't you like your birthday present? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I'm laughing, know. but it's like, it's an, it's an evil, it's an evil smirk laugh. Yeah, and it, the thing of it is, then it starts. Then I had to kind of suspend disbelief a little bit with some of the stuff that was happening. But you know, on the whole, um, and then it gets improbable what the way he acts at the very back, and like you said. But uh, on the whole, I think it, you know, good directors are able to make good use of their limited resources. And this is a film that has limited set pieces and certainly had a, a, a low to moderate budget, but. It, it uses that well. It doesn't, you know, they don't overextend themselves that way. So, yeah, that's, uh, those are all my notes. All right. Um, yeah, Morris bringing, uh, I think he picked a film that he knew we'd uh, uh, have to have a conversation about <laughs> <laughs> outside of just the film itself. Uh, he did look forward to the conversation, so I think he knew, you know, the, 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 this is the kind of film that, you know, if we were, if we were at a theater and me and you saw it together, We'd walk out and we'd probably, you know, if we went and had a cup of coffee or something like that afterwards, we'd sit and we'd probably really talk about, you know, of course, obviously all the details without, you know, recording around. So, yeah, right, right. Oh, for sure. All right. So, uh, my make or break is the hand coming up. Like I said, uh, there's, you know, that moment. And it's just like, holy shit, what the hell is going on? Because <laughs> I didn't expect it. Uh, although, in a, in a way, in retrospect, thinking about it, I should have. Because mm. there's something that kind of, "Quote unquote," plays its hand, so to say. But well, you 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 keep saying yourself, "What am I waiting for? What am I waiting for? Is it going to yeah. be this? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be this?" There's about four or five things you're going through in your head. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my MVT for the film is uh, Helen Boutet, Boudet or whatever her name is. Helen Boudet, I guess that's how you say her name. She is really really good in the film, and it is a very good performance. She hasn't done a whole lot of stuff, um, but it is a a very and I say brave, and I don't mean brave just because there's, you know, some nudity and things like that. I say brave because I think it's an emotionally raw performance as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's very, very good in that. The only other thing she's ever been in that I would have seen would have been, she's evidently in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. But, uh, oh, I don't, well, she would have been pretty young. Yeah, I don't recall her in that. But she would have only been 23 years old then. So, hmm. interesting. I played a character named Savannah Nix, maybe one of the kids. I don't know. Maybe one of the younger kids. I don't know. Maybe 20. she knows about the tells. Yeah, maybe 23. You know, you could probably play 16, 17. Anyway, yeah. she may have been 30, one of those. 43 in Hollywood. You can play 16 or 17, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but, yeah, she's definitely the the the, uh, the um, MVT for me. My score for the film is a 7.75 out of 10. I I, I enjoyed the film quite a bit. Uh, I do think there's some flaws to it and stuff, but I do also think that it leads to conversation, which I think is always one of the best things any film or any story can do is at least get you talking about something, you know? So it's, it's not a, you know, this kind of vacuum type thing. It's not empty. I think there's, you know, a lot of emotional merit to the film and a lot of interesting conversation that can be had. So yeah, 7.75 out of 10. Nice. Um, my make or break is also that scene that, uh, the same scene as yours when there's a reveal, um, because I think things are still relatively ground in reality at that point. Yes. Um, it was like the first drive of the hammer to the nail and to the board. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, MVT is also Boudet. I think she's very good. And like I said, the way she's able to shift gears emotionally, 
um, and kind of pull you in and then kind of spit in your face. Um, yeah. <laughs> she does a really, really good job of that. My score's a little bit lower than yours. It's a 7.25. Um, still a good film, certainly. Um, I just had a little bit more problems with some of the uh, improbability at the back end, um, be it from a sort of technology standpoint and uh, emotional response standpoint, but still very good, and and it, it gives you food for thought. Yes, yes. It does. That's I think that's probably the most powerful thing about the film is it at least gets you talking and leads to a good conversation. So, all right, that's our review of Alexander's project. Thank you, uh, Morris, for picking that for us. Now we are gonna that rhymed. <laughs> uh, we are gonna take a break and come back and talk about David Cronenberg's The Brood. We'll be back right after this. American dream doth the road be his. I'm coming to you live in a living color. Speak to you, the American people. A podcast called Silver Gold Eddie. You know that the American dream doth the roads knows how to bring home the gold, Daddy. And just like Henry Silver. Sticking Baba Boucher's head inside a sow hanging from the ceiling. Silver and gold will stick it to you. Stick it to your ears. Stick it to your mouth, your eyes, your nose, daddy. And all points in between, they'll take your listening pleasure and stick it between a sow's caucus hanging from the ceiling, daddy. Silver and gold. We talk about movies and shit. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com. I had an urge to build a cage around the sun. I couldn't find a way to say no. Took a check on all the meters in my room. I kicked the dog and said, Let's go. The clouds were hanging low above the pad. I had my arm around a sundial. I pinned my baby into yanking Satan's crank. Bum deals with a thin smile. Hey Will, hey Sam, this is Ryan Kostra from the Facebook group, leaving a little voicemail since you guys are covering The Brood for the Kickstarter. Seems like you've got a nice little British Commonwealth double feature going on. So, I can't remember where I first heard about The Gentleman's Guide, but I got an iPod back in 2009 and wanted to try out what uh, some of these podcasts I had heard about were, and I downloaded a few. Uh, others, and I was not impressed. And then I came across the GDTMC and found that you guys had covered Deadly Prey, which 
it was a movie I wanted to learn a bit more about, so that's what I downloaded, and yeah, I thought that episode was pretty fantastic, and uh, then when I started going through the back catalog and learning that one of the hosts was Canadian, and he was turning on his American friend uh, to movies like Tommy Tricker and The Stamp Traveler and The Joe Louis con- Contained Within, I fell in love, so... I decided to keep my Kickstarter choice uh, Canadian and go with one of my favorite directors with Cronenberg and one of my favorite actors with Art Hindle. No, just kidding, Oliver Reed. But Art Hindle actually is uh, pretty good in this movie, and he's, uh, he's a pretty nice guy. I've met him a couple of times. He plays a charity golf tournament every year in my town, uh, and some useless trivia... Art Hindle's sister used to own a restaurant uh, about a block away from my place, and his niece is one of the tellers at my bank, so I'm talking to her quite frequently. And uh, she's she's hilarious. She actually lent me a cult movie book one time, and all of the Art Hindle movies were highlighted. It was hilarious. So, um, and Cronenberg also seems like a a nice guy. Um, I visited the set of A History of Violence a couple of times, uh, because they were filming it in the town I was living at the time. Uh, and I met him at the Festival of Fear. Uh, Will, did you get a chance to meet him when he was there? Uh, anyway, The Brood is awesome. I mean, talk about an ending reveal. This is, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the film. Uh, I know Will was already excited about the fashion. So, uh, if anyone's keeping track, there's a J&B sighting around the 19-minute mark. And <laughs> anyway, it's, it's difficult to articulate, um, you know, how much the show has become part of my life. I mean... Only the GGTMC could have me singing karaoke to a Journey song. But if you guys ever do another Kickstarter, I'll be there to donate what I can. Thanks, guys. All right. That was Ryan. (laughs) Thanks for the kind words, Ryan. We appreciate it. Awesome. Ryan's a super, super guy, man. Yeah, he is. He is. Uh, it's good to hear him, too. I mean, I'd finally heard his voice, I think, on Silva and Gold, and so it was good to hear him, uh, you know, on there. Because I'd always wondered, you know, because I'd seen him on the, you know, he'd been on Facebook groups quite a bit so awesome um all right so the brood 1979 oh man where to begin oh, so, so let's begin with the synopsis and, yeah. uh, and then large william is going to take the ball all right a man tries to uncover an unconventional psychologist therapy techniques on his institutionalized wife while a series of brutal attacks committed by something let's just say that coincides with the husband's investigation uh, you know, in case anybody hasn't seen it, I don't want to give it away. So, because there's got to be somebody who hasn't seen it, right? All right. Anyway. Oh man. Okay. So, Large William, what are your thoughts on David Cronenberg's The Brood? Well, I didn't get to meet Cronenberg. I'll say that. Uh, I also was aware of the uh, brrr, the uh, the shooting in Millbrook, the the filming of History of Violence. My uh, dear friend's mom worked in, I think, the cafe they shot in, so she got to meet uh, Vigo. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, this is a film I've seen a few times. It's probably the third time I've seen it. Um, we talked about Cronenberg recently when we did last night. He's one of our crown jewels cinematically, if not the crown jewel in some eyes. I know Alan's favorite director of all time is Cronenberg. Have we ever uh, have we ever covered Cronenberg? We've, yeah, Videodrome. Yeah. That's right, but uh, I wondered that until you just said it, and, and I knew, I thought there has to be one, but yeah, yeah it was it was Videodrome, yeah. but you would think it would've, we would have covered more. We're on our second uh, Cronenberg. This is a, a favorite of mine of his. 
I probably, uh, I like this, and I probably prefer video drum a little bit, but but I quite like this as well. Um, I was saying to you off the air, Hindle um, reminds me of a less sleazy Canadian Andrew Stevens in a lot of ways. Um, he, I, you know, he's done a lot of a lot of stuff in the seventies and eighties and early nineties, I believe. The Octagon, where he was Chuck's buddy, and and a few other things. Um, oh, what does that say? Oh, Howard Shore strings. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and uh, well, I was going to say Bonnie Bedelia. Um, <clears throat> forgive me. What's our female lead's name? Oh, Samantha Egger? Yeah, Egger. British actress who's been on our show before. Yeah, The Collector. Yeah, that's right, which is, uh, yeah, she's kind of come, she's, she's, no, she's the kookaroo, I guess, but uh, funny how that works. Uh, and The Reed, you know, he. this was actually a piece of trivia. This was the first Oliver Reed film I ever saw. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, so my um, my initial impressions of Ollie many moons ago were of a, you know, a bit of a beefy but well sweatered man. Um, but yeah, uh, I like the Howard Shore strings, the string score in this, a lot of violin, um, which feels very shrill, not shrill, but it, it strikes in a very sharp. And I think that is in line emotionally with the film. Yes. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's both that and it's a, l- a little melodramatic. I like the way it works. It does work well, but I think the Agar character is very melodramatic, and the situation itself is, yeah. um, yes. you know, in the best possible way. But yeah. it should be said, Cronenberg made this movie while going through a nasty divorce, which you can see that, um, you know, and this this feels like commentary on a lot of things, and this is a deeper film than I think we could give it the time it, it deserves today. But there's commentary on therapy and why how we choose to deal with complicated human emotional dynamics. Mm-hmm. There's commentary on uh, marriage and the the dissolution of marriage, and this was a time what's eighty one, eighty two. What was it? When was it made? Seventy nine. Oh fuck! <laughs> so this is uh, the year of my birth. Um, this it, it was a time when when divorce was on a lot of filmmakers' minds. I mean, Kramer versus Kramer was around then. It might have even been seventy nine. It might have been a little before that, but. Um, a lot of films were dealing with divorce because it was it was a time when when divorce was becoming more prevalent in society and and the um, the veneer the, the kind of uh, the white picket fence and the the American or the North American dream had kind of died as far as the facade people were willing to put up with um, yeah, behind closed of, doors. Yeah, a lot of divorce movies around this era, seventy mm-hmm. nine, early eighties. A lot of I mean, Kramer versus Kramer comes to mind, obviously. Yeah, definitely. Um, and this film, it, it deals with a lot of emotional stuff that's very deep-seated, very, very emotional ripples that ultimately affect everything we do, consciously, subconsciously, everything that we are, things that motivate us. It deals with some profoundly deep emotional things, um, specifically with the Egger character and with the character of the little girl, I think, that you know, you, you wonder how it's going to impact her as a father. This is my first time seeing this as a father. Maybe my second time seeing it as a married man. I can't recall. But um, you can't help but, again, thrust yourself into the Hindle role a little bit. And, and not just that, but even if you don't relate to the Hindle role, um, you you sympathize for how all of this is going to traumatize the daughter. Yeah. 
Now, I know you don't, you didn't care for the daughter's performance too much, I don't believe, but I, I quite like it in that I feel like she's a shell and she's emotionally vacant, but I feel like her spare performance, not that it's, not that I would seek out anything else she's done, but I was fine with it because I felt like it was consistent um, with the way a child could act in a situation like this. They're going to d- detach themselves from a lot of engagement with people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I said that uh, after watching it again this time that I liked her more than I did the original oh, time okay, I saw good, it. But, good. Maybe, yeah. but at the same time, I do feel like Cronenberg, if there's any thing about this film that I can really kind of, well, nothing about the film I can kind of harp on as far as flawed. I mean, I do have issues with it, but uh, the uh, he he leaves her again. To use the phrase we did, he kind of leaves her. I think hanging out dry a little bit in a couple of them. But you know, that's just a personal opinion, really. No, I hear you. I hear you. Um, I did feel for her more this time around than I did the first time around. Right, right. Um, it should be said. I've only seen this film like three or four, three or four times, maybe. Yeah, I've only seen it probably three. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah, three. I would say no more than that. Um, shot in Montreal, I believe, as most of Cronenberg's early films are. And I love the the setting. I love the wood paneling. And again, I love that Cronenberg never shied away from setting his films in Canada. There's a few scenes with the school where you see the Canadian flag. And I just, I love that he set his films in Canada. I know it's a small thing and it would be kind of inconsequential to non-Canadians, but when our country is doubled for America all the time, it's nice to see one of our own take place here. Right. You know, it's, it's cool to see. Uh, I love all the wood paneling and the architecture that we see in this film. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. more, maybe more of a kitchen nostalgic thing, but yeah. Yeah. there was that. Totally. Re- yeah. It just totally reminds me of being a kid, man. Everything we have wood yeah. paneling on it when I was a kid. <laughs> Big time, man. Big time. Uh, the film feels very gray and moody. I mean, it's a very moody film because it deals with moods and emotions, but <laughs> Just now that I think about the film itself, I feel like it's a very gray film as far as the sky. Like, you don't see a lot of sunshine and birds chirping in this film. It's kind of a a late winter set, which is usually very dark and gloomy and cold and miserable from a weather standpoint, which again comes back to that thing of our emotional state being impacted or, or uh, our surroundings influencing our, our feelings. Right, right. Um, the name Frank Carveth. We talked about this off the air. Our good friend Roop, Rupert Pupkin, <laughs> the king of comedy himself. Um, he uses Frank Carveth. I don't know if it was on uh, Palaver or somewhere, but Roop, you used Frank Carveth somewhere. Where did you use it? Because I, I years ago, after I'd, I, I don't know what I was doing. I was looking something up for this film, and I'd seen the name Frank Carveth. Oh, shit, that's where Roop got it. So, And I didn't understand the name before, but tell us where you got it. Or where you use it, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what a double this week. The sort of familial dynamics. Men with limited control over the emotional maelstrom yeah. that is yeah. their wife. Uh, small turn, but I really love... Uh, Andrew, I was going to say Andrew Stevens. Fuck. I really love Art Hindle's lawyer. Uh, he was he had a more prominent role in Rabid. He's a local Canadian actor. can't remember his name right now. Um, and, I, and he has even a line that I think was very of the time, and this is even to this day and age, I would say holds to be true in a lot of cases, rightly or wrongly, mm-hmm. more rightly than wrongly, sadly, but um, that the law believes in mother. 
Yeah. Because Hindle's character, it sets some of the things that move this film forward. It 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 um it alibis them or it gives it an airtight reason for propelling itself that way because Hindle has limited options as in a domestic situation. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I really I think it was smart for the time for for Cronenberg, and I guess in hindsight, going through divorce, it would make sense making it man, not man versus woman necessarily, but well, what I meant by man versus woman in my note was actually our central character is a man. Normally, it would have been the female, right? I mean, it's a horror film; it was more the trope of the genre and. You would deal with it more with man being the beast and, and woman, you know, having more of the human touch. But it, it gives us that side with with Hindle, who, who is, I think, sensitive. And he, we've talked about this off the air. I think most people would agree that Hindle was a, a likable actor. But this might be one of his better turns dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. Hindle's a, an actor who I like quite a bit as well. And he he's not a powerhouse actor, I wouldn't say. But he is always very competent in everything. I mean, he's been in so much shit. I mean, you couldn't even begin to <laughs> go through art hindle's career uh i mean because he has been in so much stuff but he is uh he's always very serviceable and everything in but he does stand out quite a bit in this film i think uh mm-hmm. uh and yeah the the fact that this might be one of cronenberg's most personal films uh is interesting and the way they kind of take the with the approach he takes and you almost feel like the hindle character is supposed to be david cronenberg Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it, it's very interesting to say the least. I mean, I don't know how much Cronenberg has ever admitted to it. I don't know how much he's ever said. I just know what I've read. But uh, if you think about it, it, it you know you can see it creeping through big time. Mm-hmm. Big time. We see a J and B sighting at nineteen ten. Yes, exactly. <laughs> glad to know. Uh, glad to know Ryan knows what kind of notes we take. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's Shreddies. In this. Do you guys have Shreddies cereal in the States? No, we don't have Shreddies, I don't think, no. Oh, wow. So there's some prominent Shreddies display here. Um, <clears throat> I think there's a really brilliant, brilliantly layered kind of creative personification of what's happening. Um, without revealing too much of that. Um, I love the discussion of the treatment of children and... It just it makes you very sad because you realize that with a divorce, a divorce is hard for anyone, especially an adult who's in the middle, well, not especially, but uh, an adult who's in the middle of it, certainly. But then you think about a child who doesn't even have the emotional tools to deal with this. Yeah. And yeah. they talk about even children, you know, this is the case of a child having ulcers at four years old, and you think, again, of how sad of an impact this has on, um, on the children, which, of course, was front and center for... Cronenberg in his own mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so, I'm sitting there trying to figure out a way to do an Oliver Reed impersonation about Shreddies. <laughs> it is very. He is at his most whisperious in, in some scenes in this film. No, oh, he sure is. Yes, darling. <laughs> Would you like some Shreddies? <laughs> That's awesome, man. <laughs> I love the way he, he sees, he's one of these actors, man, who can whisper, and he's he's creepy and intimidating. Yeah, he is. Um, he's got some majestic coats in this too. Some shearling coats that are pretty tremendous. I love that he's called uh, Daddy as part of his uh, therapy thing. And I sit there and think to myself, I'm sure Oliver Reed probably wanted to be called Daddy all the time. Oh yeah, no doubt. Yeah, because <laughs> there's some pretty wolf far out. Probably what he had Daddy. tattooed on his cock. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, <laughs> it 
<laughs> I don't know if I've ever said this on the air, but I actually know an older gentleman who has a tattoo of a rose on his cock. On his cock. On the very tip of his cock. Oh. Yeah. Don't ask, don't ask me how I know that. But, uh. but, it, but it felt like that rose had a few thorns and that was going on. Yeah. I think it was part of a bet or something. Oh, boy. I'd be pretty damn sure if I was making that bet. Um, <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's sad that both films this week, how do relationships get so poisoned? It's really sad to look at. Um, you know, another film that would make a good, make a quadruple bill with Alexander's Project Antichrist, this is Possession, the Ajani film. Yes, indeed. Another one. Um, oh, and then there's the quote... Um, this is when Hindles really starts to worry because he goes to see an, uh, one of, uh, what do they call it? Uh, something plasmatic. No, that's Wendy Williams. Uh, <laughs> plasmatics. There's something plasma or something, the plasma therapy or. Yeah, I can't remember what the word exactly because I'm thinking plasmatics as well, but <laughs> I can't remember the damn word. <clears throat> but, the um, the, but he interviews one of um, his former patients and he says, give him more time with your wife and it will be f- uh, physiological and. And Raglan encouraged my body to revolt, and there's a reveal of some pretty nasty body horror, and it's he's really starting to fear for everything. Handel really gets scared, and there's that fear of mind and the environment, and the illness, and the relationship between the three. It's uh, pretty uh, pretty scary when you're you're Handel's character, certainly. Um, and his wife's sealed off from the outside. It's like no one can see her. He doesn't know what treatment's happening. So there's that mistrust of doctors and treatment um i just read in the trivia that uh the character smith their character possessed characteristics of his ex-wife so ouch jeez <laughs> um ouch you got involved the quote you got involved with the woman who married or he says it even nice like, so he says it to the teacher she's got a pretty good female mullet i should say yeah she does jeez uh, she says i got involved with a woman who married me for my sanity hoping it would rub off yeah pretty chilling line that is a chilling line um which uh, sadly and scarily i know someone like that mm. luckily i'm not married to one of them yeah. um all hmm. oh, those snow suits man <laughs> does it remind you of your childhood yeah those are great though i love them pretty horrific too some of the reveals the wounds are pretty awful that they inflict. Oh yeah, they're nasty. Oh, and uh, I think you know. There's t- he talks about. Handel uh, talks about the first time he sees the room where Norris or is it Nola? Nola is staying. I think this is the first time I've seen the room in all the time she's been staying here. And I think it certainly alludes to some of the secrets and the unknown things that with people that we love, the secrets and the, the how closed off they can be with some things in lives that we can live with them day to day. But there's some things we never know or they never let us into. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. Yeah, but the strings reminded me very much of the time, but like Manfredini or you know one of those like uh, a lot of those horror scores around the time, a lot of violinity type stuff. Uh, chilling line when Frank's speaking to Ollie Reed and he says, uh, "She's not their surrogate mother, Frank." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's almost like he does that thing where the camera like pulls back and and Hindle slides forward or whatever that, yeah. that old technique of shock yeah um, 
and you get moments with Edgar's character when it's like shades of almost like this Piper Laurie hysteria. It's uh, she looks like fucking Skeletor with a red wig and a white shawl on, doesn't she? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it re- actually I can't get into that reveal. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, which the finale is pretty wild. I mean, the scene with the ski, all the fucking ski suits, and mm. it's very tense. It's like Reed's walking into a viper pit, and <laughs> she, looks, oh. she looks like Skeletor Frank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Have you seen my belt for my sweater? <laughs> He wears a short house coat in this too, man. <laughs> yeah, he really does. And some, he's rocking some it. shower sandals too, bruh. Yeah, he is. That's when you know you've reached a certain level of awesomeness when you rock the shower sandals at, yeah, at home. At home. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But uh, uh, Henry Silva's like, hey, man, that that <laughs> that, yeah, that, that bathrobe a, is ridiculous, man. It's a high hemline on that. It is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> even yeah, even Silva didn't go that high on his hemline. Um, awesome. <laughs> of course, there's a bite taken and a sack opened and some licking. It's just bleh. oh, yeah, <laughs> oh god. Well, you know, Cronenberg uh, is one of those directors who literally makes me queasy. Yeah, he does make things very queasy, doesn't he? And Man, fucking Hindle kept it cooler than I could have in that scene. Let me yeah. tell you, <laughs> he's one of these directors who really kind of goes to humanity's, you know, actuality of disease and things. People always say body horror, but I mean, he's one of these guys that obviously researches that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, because a lot of his stuff is based in reality, it really is disturbing. I think, like the uh, the mm-hmm. the uh, the lymph node uh, tumors we see from the one character. Ugh. Oh my God, man. That freaked me out. The first time I saw that, I'm nearly just almost, that, that scared me more than anything I'd seen in quite yeah. some time. <laughs> be gross. Um, the bunk beds and the jumping, it's just a great scene. I love the editing back and forth between Hindle and Reed's characters and what they're going through. But yeah. there's just that awful line when, because um, it doesn't really reveal anything. It's just an emotional arc, kind of an emotional spike in the movie. When Edgar's character hysterically screams at Hindle, and it, it's terrifying. I don't think there's any more terrifying a line you can hear as a father when she says, "I'll kill. I'd kill Candace before I'd let you take her from me." Yeah. Jesus Christ, man! It's just. Yeah. Oh. Sadly, you know. Sadly, life imitates art in that way. I mean, you see that all yeah, the time. You know. You do. It's tragic. Beyond, beyond, beyond tragic. And I think my last note is just that I think it's fascinating that. Um, Cronenberg speaks to children becoming the embodiment of our rage and there are become our fears personified and prisoners to our ghosts a lot unless we're very careful and, and actively and vigorously try to avoid that happening yes because that's what we see in this film yeah so but those are all my notes all right yeah it kind of gets into the whole conversation that monsters aren't born maybe they're made things like that uh, which is a deep conversation but even me at my whisperiest I can't get into <laughs> I do really appreciate the way this film kind of I forgot how quick it gets going yeah I mean it really just plops you down into it with uh, you know somebody you know somebody calling Oliver Reed daddy and uh, and then the next thing you know it just it just gets going and I'm like wow I forgot how quick this thing really ramps up it really just goes it doesn't even give you time to tie up the belt on your sweater no <laughs> I had to put my shower sandals aside yeah. and 
can't ever settle in, you know. That's right. Please get my sandals for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Oliver Reed, man. So oh, great. Man. But yeah, but I have to say, you know, we talked about this a little bit, but Art Hindle, you know, he's working with one of the arguably most scene-chewing, powerful actors of our time. Oh, yeah. And even though this is a very dialed-back Oliver Reed compared to what <laughs> we've seen him in in some things, uh, Art Hindle does hold his own with him. Yeah, he Very does. much so. Yeah. I really do like Art Hindle in this film a lot. I mean, he's... He's great. He's perfect for the role. Yeah, he really is perfect for the role. You know, he's got that great hair, too. You know, we talked about yeah. it a little bit on the phone the other night. The great blowback <laughs> Art Hindle look. He still looks like that, I think. I don't know, but... Oh, yeah. He seems like a great dude. Seems like, you know, and Ryan said something there that he'd met him a few times and stuff, and that he, you know, as <laughs> his niece is, you know... Uh, a teller at a bank so very cool um yeah the scene with the uh lymph node guy and stuff you could feel a lot of cronenberg in those elements oh yeah a lot of his uh theories a lot of his thoughts on you know therapy and a lot of his anger comes through from the lymph node uh character and uh you feel a lot of it there and then of course you know you you have that interesting auteur thing of him talking to the character that is going through the divorce and you start to think, you know, is this Cronenberg working with himself, working some things out, you know, because, you know, he's a very much an intellectual filmmaker, David Cronenberg. He just works. Yeah. In, he works in a genre that sometimes isn't considered so much intellectual by the mass media, but he's always been a very intellectual filmmaker. Every one of his films you can look at and you can see that he's exploring humanity. They're layered. Yeah. He's exploring all of our, our weaknesses, you know, our, like he went our through, a, yeah, our fears. He went through that phase where he's, just, you know, looking at violence and what, how it affects humanity, and why it's, you know, why it's important, why it's not important, blah blah blah. But he's always got these theories and these thoughts and these ways of doing things that uh, I always appreciate. I mean, I always feel like I'm learning something from a Cronenberg film. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only just enjoying, and well, the key is is that he not only does he is he that kind of filmmaker, but he also makes entertaining films. He takes those oh, yeah. elements and instead of pounding you over the head with it, he uh, he uh, makes sure that you're entertained as well. Like he understands the difference between the two things, because he could easily just be some a filmmaker that just pounds you over the head the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because of that lymph node character, I think he says something about encouraging the body to turn against itself. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck. I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, that's that's Cronenberg. That's one of, his, and we all know that's one of his fears. His fears is you know body you know manipulation things like that so that we know that you know then there has been theories that some people could believe that you know some cancers and things like that are brought on by emotions not by physical ailments you know there's theories out there that that you know it's it's out there let's put it that way don't go into that world though you'll get nervous (laughs) (laughs) but this film does really feel like again like we talked about last time does feel like a like a father's nightmare type of film Jesus, yeah, yeah. These are two, yeah, father, yeah, father nightmare. Good, po- yeah, good, uh, <laughs> concise summary of these two films. <laughs> and it, it and it really does feel like a very personal film. And this is early in Cronenberg's career. I mean, I think a lot of people forget. I mean, he made a lot of short films in the seventies. Um, I've never seen Stereo or Crimes of the Future, which are his first full nor have films. I. But he made everything but shorts up until they came from within. Uh, which I guess is also known as Shivers. And then uh, he did Rabbit and Fast Company, which I have seen. Which I've, I've not seen Fast Company. Yeah, we should review that sometime. It'd be kind of interesting to talk about. Little John, little John Saxon, little William Smith, little Claudia Jennings. Nice. That's little, a great uh, drive-in yeah. three-pack, man. Yeah, Those dra- three. Drag racing films. Sounds, yeah. Um, but, 
yeah, this so this is early. So this is really the outside of Rabbit, this is the one that kind of said, Hey, this is the kind of filmmaker I am. And you know, uh, and Shivers. Well, yeah, and Shivers too, I guess I should say. Shivers definitely is uh dealing with some body stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely there. Shivers does feel like a young man's film too. So does Rabbit as well. They both, I think, they both deal with more with uh, almost like venereal disease than, yeah, yeah. Than like uh, stuff like cancers and 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 genetic mutations and stuff. Stuff he would get into later, right? So, uh, yeah, David Cronenberg. It's interesting how his medical or biological fears evolved as he became older, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they have. They, they've 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 become come almost completely now. They're almost all psychological. Mm-hmm. Uh, even more so than they are physical, but there's still moments in all of his films, even his most, I mean, even, you know, in stuff like history of violence, Eastern promises and stuff like that, even in dangerous method, as which I watched uh, last year, there's still these moments that he shoots and shows that it's like, Ugh, you didn't really have to go there, Yeah, I know. but it, it's, it's Cronenberg. That's what he does. So mm-hmm. I think when it's all said and done, he'll be remembered as a, uh, a great filmmaker. I mean, cause uh, you know, he writes and directs his stuff and, I think he's, you know, one of the more interesting directors to come out of the 70s horror uh, era, definitely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, you know, he's changed quite a bit. He's getting to be an older man now, but he's still, you know, like I say, he's still David Cronenberg. And, it, you know, I am interested to see his son's film. I know a lot of people kind of went back and forth on it. I think it's called Antiviral or something like that. Yeah, I'm curious to see it, too. And even Cosmopolis, I'm excited to see. Now, I have heard very mixed things, but... I think it's on Netflix Instant, but I think it is. I think it is. I'm gonna have to check it out because I, I like uh, vampire uh, puns. I think he's a better. I think he's a good actor. Yeah, he must have really liked working with him because he's working with him again on his next film. Yeah, no, I think he's a good actor that people are too quick to dismiss because of his glittery vampire role. Hey, man, you gotta make you gotta make the glittery yeah, gotta, films too. Yeah. You can't just gotta make... get your foot in that door, man. <laughs> yeah, you gotta get there. That's the way it works. That's that's yeah. the business. That's the business, daddy. <laughs> that's the business. Take that right out of a read. That's right, baby. <laughs> where's, where's that's, right, <laughs> that's right my darling where are my shreddies <laughs> but, but Ryan didn't think he was going to get this kind of review oh man anyway or maybe he did he's been listening to us for a long time yeah. <laughs> but uh, where does this film do you think stands and, and I'm, I'm asking a bold question here and I know it's early in the morning and you didn't get much sleep but where do you think this stands in Cronenberg's there for you near the top okay good good Okay. Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a I'm a pretty big fan uh, of this one. Okay, yeah, okay. It's definitely near the top for me too. It's not it's not my favorite, but no. at the same time, it's definitely uh, pure Cronenberg, no doubt about that. It's, yeah, and it's a pure film, and I and I do like that we we're getting an angle. I love it when this sounds awful, but you know what I mean when I say this. I love it when filmmakers put their own neuroses into a film. Oh, and, for sure, because it feels very yeah. personal and very. They're going to take care to ensure it's it feels accurate um, because of the emotional stake they have in what's on film. Yes, exactly. But that's all my notes on The Brood. Nice. Um, make or break. Fuck. Um, oh, man. I guess I'm going to go with the, the, the back end, the, the finale of the film, the way it cuts between Reed and, and Handel and and uh skeletor and just the 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 brood the titular brood um should be said one of the brood is played by a a little person actor named uh, he's an italian guy felix sila and uh he has been in a shit ton of films uh i thought it was going to be 
the uh, the little macho man lookalike that was in uh, was in uh, Land of the Dead. Yeah, when I was a kid, I used to think when I first saw this film, I thought it was the female kid actor who was they just put in makeup because I thought that would be interesting. Oh right, right, yeah. But the physicality is a little more advanced than a child. That's yes, what, yes, definitely. As you get older, you can kind of see that. That first cool. reveal of the little uh, brood character freaks me the fuck out it every does, time. It man. Does. It's it's so perfectly timed because he teases you with it and then he just hits you with it. Um, Although I do so, have to say that Grandma mm-hmm. really should have got up a little quicker. <laughs> oh, for real. You're hearing all that noise. You know why are you sitting there? Yeah. I know. That's true. MVT, I'm going to say... I'm going to say Hindle. I'm going to give it to Hindle. As much as... Um, you son of a bitch. I'll read somewhere going, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love reading it, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I do love it, man. But uh, Hindle's the emotional anchor for the film, and I could, I could yeah, more so yeah. go with Cronenberg. But I I'm going to use some, one of the Sammy. You know, it's like when the, the Hall of Fame voters, certain voters have certain criteria. But I'm going to go with the Sammy criteria of I don't know when again Hindle's going to get MVP on this show. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good point. That's a good point. I'm, so I'm glad you read my mind because <laughs> <laughs> you basically just you know read my MVP as well. <laughs> But it's true. He's the emotional anchor. And it is a perilous situation emotionally anyway, but you wouldn't care for his aspect of the struggle as much if he was a shithead or unlikable. Or if it was Steve Rails back, you'd be like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Let the ski suits descend oh, on this motherfucker. I'll save my Steve, Steve Rails back impersonation for when we recover a Steve Rails back film. <laughs> nice. Next week, uh, the stuntman <laughs> the GGTMC. Oh, boy. You do your Peter O'Toole that week, too. Yes. Um... <laughs> um and my score is uh, an 8.25. Nice, nice. Sweet. So, Sweet. Yeah, there we have it. Yeah, well, me and you are, we're, uh, <laughs> I can't remember what your make, your make or break was. What oh, was the it? finale. Okay, okay, okay. Well, yeah, that is something special. Uh, my make or break, I really like the, uh, you know, grandma not getting up uh, to check the pots in the pans too quick scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oliver Reed's off camera going, go check the fucking pans, you bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, I do like that scene quite a bit because I like the way it sets up, and it's still to this day, even though I know what's coming, it still freaks me the fuck out, man. Yeah, and that, sure. and I also love the the payoff of the look up the staircase and the hands on the uh, the staircase awning. Oh yeah, but see, with that scene, the reason it's so great too is at that point we don't know what the rules are for the game. Like we don't know what's going to really happen until we get a consistent pattern of ski yeah. suits. But at that point, we don't really know what what's going to happen. Yeah. Like. Or at least, uh, even on a rewatch, the characters don't. You don't. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it's it's not established exactly. at that point what exactly. what's going to happen. Every time I hear somebody say the rules of the game, I always say, it's all about the game. <laughs> <laughs> and who plays it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if I knew, I was be doing uh, Lemmy impersonation Lemmy. and and, uh, <laughs> and they sound a lot alike. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Anyway. Um. Yeah, but I really like that scene quite a bit. Uh, my MVT, as is, like I say, you read my mind. You were you were uh, Doctor uh, whatever his name is in this film to my Dr. art plasmatic. <laughs> yeah, you were Doctor Plasmatic to my art Hindle. You were Doctor Hal Raglan. That's right, Hal Raglan <laughs> to my Frank Carveth. You read my mind because uh, yeah, the uh, Hindle is. I just don't know. Like I said, I just don't know if he'll come up again as an MVT, and he really is. I agree with you. He is the emotional emotional anchor of this film, um, and uh, you really, really get behind his character and what he does and what he stands for. And 
you feel there's there's also great moments where you feel his loneliness where he feels like he's not only is he alone and helping raise his child but he feels like he's alone and seeing sometimes that you know this dr how raglan cat guy is a bit of a an asshole you know or yeah. so i don't know I, I really like how cronenberg did that my score is the same as yours 8.25 man uh, this nice. is this is a you know it's a classic it's a classic no doubt about it i have some issues with the pacing sometimes in the in the middle i'll be honest with you there's some some boring bits yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, put, to put it politely, that's the best I can say. That. Just some, some of the dialogue scenes are just kind of boring. Yeah, no, I hear you. Like the scene with the, the father-in-law and stuff. I don't know. It seemed yeah. a bit needless. But but I've never really thought that Cronenberg writes great dialogue anyway. Nope. His dialogue is mostly to move a plot forward. Yeah. And it feels, like, right. it feels like that in this film. It feels like exposition. It feels like, you know, you're just moving ahead, moving ahead. But, you know, instead of showing an actual action of him doing something, they're going to talk about it. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that. All right, so that is the brood. That's our coverage of the brood. It's nice to finally talk about the brood. Yeah, it is. All right, do uh, we probably don't have time for pleasantries? So yeah, it's Mother's Day. I got to start uh, yeah. getting things ready here. You aren't the only uh, one. Yeah, that's uh, no sleep for us, man. Yeah. No sleep till Brooklyn. I don't. If I don't uh, take care of some things, it's going to be Motherfucker's Day. <laughs> 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 and I'll have a bad day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's awesome, man. <laughs> but uh, we don't know what we're doing next week yet for sure. Uh, we got some things kind of up in the air. It's either going to be some more Kickstarter picks or uh, a guest is coming on. Special but- guest, Hal Raglan, joining us on the GGTMC. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, and uh, so we don't really know what's going on next week, but we will be back next week, and uh, that's the important thing. So, yeah, I guess that's everything, man. I hope everybody has a happy Mother's Day and a good week, and uh, watch lots of movies and kiss your wives, kiss your moms, eat your shreddies, eat your sh- yeah, eat your shreddies, <laughs> <laughs> keep the tattoo off my cock. <laughs> <I'm Rose. laughs> Happy motherfuckers day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Anyway, before we get to grill and just further ridiculousness, uh, we will say adios. Adios. <laughs> adios. <laughs> adios. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys later. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207 and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com